0: You're thankful for that grace Why don't you give God praise We love you Jesus Where would we be Without the grace of God Hallelujah Amen The Bible says that the law came by Moses But grace and truth Came by Jesus Christ When Jesus entered this world He was truth it didn't, it wasn't referring to the fact that he sent just this word. But when Jesus entered the scene and entered the picture, he was the embodiment and the fulfillment of all truth. And he said, I'm not just going to establish truth, but I'm going to give you a buffer between your sins and my judgment. And that's the grace and the mercy of God. Friend, I'm thankful for that grace and that mercy today. One more time, let's. Give God praise. Amen. I want you to turn around and shake someone's hand and say, I'm happy to see you in the house of the Lord. Bible says that there is one body, but many members. Every person has a place in the kingdom of God. Every person. Whether or not you feel like you're needed or you're valued, every person has a place in the kingdom of God. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have a place in the kingdom of God. Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated. It's good to be back in the house of the Lord. We had a tremendous trip last week, which I'll speak more about, and I'm sure that our young people will be speaking. But I would say that uh, I'm godly proud of our young people and their prayers and their uh, consecration throughout this NAYC uh, the lord certainly touched all of our young people and i'm so so very grateful i'm glad to be a part of a church that has a strong children and youth department because that is not i know we say that's the future and and i see what sense that we're saying that in but that is the the church of today that is the the group of young people they have a lot of influence And I'm praying that God would break the stronghold in this area uh, of religion. We don't need religion. We need Pentecost. We need the fire of the Holy Ghost to fall in this area. I'm not not worried about growing a big church. I'm worried about people being saved and making it to heaven. That's the biggest thing. And there's, there's a whole school. Uh, that that many of these go to that I firmly believe that God is going to break chains and open up doors. And uh, mom and dad, I I, I believe that our youth group is going to get more and more active. And uh, if they should be anywhere, they should be in the house of God. They should be at youth service. They should be going on youth activities. Amen. Don't use church as punishment. Don't punish them by saying you're not going to youth service or you're not going uh, out with the young people. If you punish them, punish them from that phone or punish them from something uh, that's hindering them. Don't punish them from something. Can I just pastor a little bit? Don't punish them from something that's going to help them. I've seen it happen. And uh, we don't use church as leverage. Our Bible says, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Your children need to be glad to go to the house of the Lord. It ought not be a place of punishment. It should be a place where God can help them and they can find find direction for their future. So I'm godly proud of these young people. Are they perfect? But neither are you. And if you had a cell phone when you was a teenager, you may not even be here. The world literally is at their fingertips. I mean, how many, How many? I don't remember party lines, but I know people in here remember party lines. Okay, but I can remember whenever I was a young teenager, if you wanted to talk long distance, I had to get a calling card. Anybody remember those calling cards? You had to re- keep your calling card loaded. But now, they don't even have to call, they can... With one button, they can talk to somebody on the other side of the world. Send a message on the other side of the world. And while technology is great, it's made it so easy to do wrong. And it's made it so easy for young people. Those young people know way more than y'all know about those phones. They do. Now, they're going to play dumb and act like they don't know what they're doing. But they know what they're doing. They know more than you know about the phone. And I realize that young people are going to be young people. And I got a lot of mercy with young people. And we got to have a church that will wrap their arms around those young people and say, hey, get back up. It doesn't matter. You fell down. There's an altar. There's a place that you can go to. Don't let them run to the world because they've experienced judgment at the house of God. This is like the pool of Bethesda, which means house of mercy. It's a place of mercy. It's a place of restoration. You know, the Bible says that he hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. That's in that book. Know what that means? That means understanding someone did wrong. Understanding someone made a mistake, but loving them past their failure until they're restored, until they're made whole. Now that doesn't, that doesn't mean that, that they have to, you got to go out to eat with them. That doesn't mean that, that they may come back to this church. The body of Christ is bigger than this church. I know people in the past that I went to church with and you see them in town and it's almost like they have a stigma. Oh, I I remember what they did. I remember they messed, they was bad. The only difference between their sin and yours is that theirs was open and yours is private. If we're going to exercise the ministry of reconciliation, we've got to keep things under the blood and not attach stigmas to people based upon what we know about them or what we think we know about them. It's amazing how Christ will bury everybody's sins under the blood, but we want to keep them above the blood. And we want to hold on to them. But what does the Bible says? What you give out, it's going to be returned back to you. So if you want mercy, what do you got to do? Sow mercy. If all you sow is judgment, don't act surprised when people judge you. It's the law of the harvest. It's what you've been given. That's why negative people don't have a lot of friends. Nobody wants to be around them. Nobody wants to be around somebody negative. We want to be around people that are positive, people that are sowing joy, people that are sowing positivity in our life. And, 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 and when, when, I, when I look at someone, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says, and I'm paraphrasing, you better think about yourself, how it could happen to you just as quick as it happened to them. Consider yourself thinking you stand lest you fall. And there's a lot of people in this parish that the only thing keeping them from walking through those doors is the fear of what people are going to think about them. And that ought not be. It ought to be that they, they, when they think of Wallace Ridge, they think it doesn't matter what I did. Those people are going to love me. Those people are going to pray with me when I get to that altar. That's, that's got to be the reputation of this church. Amen. That was what the prodigal was worried about, is whether or not he would be received back by his father. And he made up his mind. He said, it doesn't matter. I'll settle for being a servant. In other words, he done made up his mind, my father disowned me. He wrote me off. He said, there's not, in his mind, they won't accept me back because I've done too much. There's people that think like that. That the church won't accept me back because I've done too much. And he had done made up his mind, that's all right. I did this to myself. I made this bed and I'm gonna lay in it. I'll settle for being a servant. But when his father saw it, Bible said his father ran out and embraced him and killed the fatted calf and started the party. How do you think that made that prodigal feel when he realized that he was met with mercy? He wasn't met with judgment. He was met with love. He was met with acceptance and that's what prodigals are going to be looking for when they come back to the house of God is will they love me the same as when I left? I believe that I'm looking at people that'll love them the same. Restore them. The ministry of reconciliation. If you've been forgiven, and I'm looking at forgiven people, then you gotta forgive other people. You can't hold on to it. You can't, you can't, you know, there's gonna be people that miss heaven. They miss heaven not because they did what that other person did, but because they couldn't let it go what the other person did. And the other person's going to make it because God forgave them. I'm looking at people who you've been wronged. You've been wronged. In your own life, you can, you can think right now of things that people did to you that you've been wronged. And you're holding on to it like a waiting to play those cards at the right time. And you're going to miss heaven. And that person that wronged you is going to make it. Because they got it right with God. And you never let it go. You didn't put it under the blood. God wants you to exercise the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation does not mean that you agree with what they did. It means I love you in spite of what you did. I want you to become whole. I want you to be restored. I want you to make it to heaven. That's what it's all about. If we can't forgive, if we can't love, if we can't help somebody become better, then what are we doing with this love of Christ? What, was, what did Jesus say when he was hanging on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't understand the eternal ramifications of their actions. They have no idea that who I am and what I'm here to help them, and they're here to hurt me. And the closer you are to somebody, the deeper the hurt when they do you wrong. You know, I expect the world to be the world. I expect the world to hurt me. But it's when people hurt us that aren't supposed to be on our side. that's what we have a hard time dealing with when people are supposed to be the ones praying with us, loving us, helping us, the closer you are, the deeper the wound, deeper the wound and 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 people if you won't leave a wound alone. It'll just sit there and fester and get worse and worse when you keep picking at it. And the reason people have never healed and they can't move past what's going on is because they ain't left the wound alone. They've kept picking. You can talk to somebody about something that happened 10 years ago and they'll start talking and it's just as real as if it happened yesterday because they didn't leave it alone. My parents, my mom used to tell me, don't pick that scab. Let it heal. Naturally, you got something as a little kid on your leg. You're just going to pick away at it. And what'd you do? You delayed the healing process because you wouldn't just leave something alone. And there's people that the reason they can't recover spiritually is because they ain't left the wound alone. They just keep ripping it open. They keep ripping it open. I'm telling you, I don't even know why I'm walking down this road other than I'm just walking in the Holy Ghost right now. But there, there, there's people in this room that you hadn't let go of things that happened in the past and it's held you captive and you can't move beyond it. And you come to church and you're literally in, 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 in captivity in invisible walls because you cannot release people from what they did wrong. I used to struggle. The Bible says that Jesus or the Lord would not remember our iniquity, that it would be as far as the east is from the west. And so I begin to think, how can God, who is all-knowing, not remember what I did wrong? It's, a contra- it's contradictory because God knows everything. And so for him to forget would mean that he didn't know everything. But if you start digging into that scripture, the word remember literally means not hold accountable. Like to forgive a debt that's owed. To release that person. From the penalty of that debt. It does not mean. That his mind. Erases something. He still remembers it. In a knowledge sense. But he releases that person. From the penalty of that debt. He releases that person. From owing that. In other words. I know you did it. I know you made the debt. But I'm forgiving that debt. And you don't have to pay it. And. Where we struggle is because we can remember in the knowledge realm of what was done that we also hold that person accountable as if they still owed a debt. We haven't released them because we can remember. It's hard. You know, we remember the bad way more than we remember the good. And I could buy someone meals and not buy them one, which one are they going to remember? The one I didn't buy instead of the 10 that I did buy. We're programmed to remember what was wrong, where we felt we were wronged. And the reason that we struggle so bad in releasing someone is because we can't forget what was done to us. That's why Jesus said, you're going to forgive them 70 times seven. He wasn't saying that you have to forgive them 490 times. What he was saying is, every time you think about it, you're going to have to forgive them. Every time it comes into your mind and creeps into the corridors of your mind of what was done, you're going to have to forgive them. Because forgiveness is not a one-time event. It's a process. How do you know that I've truly forgiven somebody? Do you still talk about it? Because if you still talk about it, there's a good chance you're not over it. And what we do is when we talk about it, we're still wanting people to take our side. We're still wanting to gather us some allies to make us feel better about being wrong. Now, we can't change any of it, but we'll get us a little army of sympathizers that'll just constantly pray for us. Constantly, what they're doing, they're poking the scab. Poking the scab. <clears throat> Let me say this. It's the will of God for people to live victorious. It's the will of God. But you can get in such a state, uh, what I'm going to call a woe is me state, that your prayers are not victorious. Your worship is not victorious. Nothing in your life is victorious. It's just a perpetual state of sadness. And that's not the will of God. Yeah, you're praying, and yes, you're going up to the front and worshiping, and yes, you're reading the Bible, but there's no victory. There's no joy. And when you lose your joy, you lose your strength because the Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I have seen people through the years that did all the actions, but there was an aura of sadness. There was a weight about them that they could not break through. It was like every service they were down. Every service, they were waited. Every service, they were sad. And they never broke through in victory. It's not the will of God for us to leave church more sad than we come to church. More down than we come to church. Or leave your prayer time more down than when you started your prayer time. Everything about God is I'm going up. I look unto the hills from whence cometh my help. Which tells me I may be in the valley but I'm looking up because my strength is there. What's the scripture say? Look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Everything about God is getting us up, getting us elevated out of where we are. Amen. If we exercise the ministry of reconciliation, what did Jesus do? Jesus was the embodiment of the ministry of reconciliation because he literally took a lost and a dying world and reconciled it unto himself. Brought it back to what it was designed and purposed to be. And when we do the same, we are are taking that person that's fallen and we're bringing them back to where they're supposed to be. We're forgiving them. We're helping them. We are the only denomination I know of that kills their wounded. We do. You let somebody stumble, and there's 10 people to kick them while they're down. That's not the will of God. Oh, we may not do it to their face, but you do it to other people, and eventually it gets back to them. Let me just clue y'all in on something here. There's no secrets around here. I can tell you what you drank from the station last week, near about. Word travels that fast. There's no secrets. So here's a little news flash. Just because you think someone's going to keep it quiet, what you said, doesn't mean they're going to keep it quiet, it's going to spread. And it's going to get back to the person that you're talking about ASAP. Amen. So the best thing, don't say it. One man once said, I never regretted something I didn't say. Now, I've thought a lot. But it's way easier to fix it here than fix it here. And I don't, want it to be, I don't want it to be said that this church is a church that will just run people down the road. I want it to be said that that church loves me in spite of what I've been through. Amen. Touch your neighbor and say, boy, he, this is good. Thank you. Yeah. Amen. This is one body and there's many members. There's many members. You know, I've said it before. Satan's a defeated foe. We don't have to defeat Satan. He's already been defeated. But two things have hindered revival more than anything. Egos and insecurities. Egos and insecurities. Because as a church begins to grow, other people are one to God. And have a desire to do things for God. And if we take a possession. An ownership mentality of something. Then we're robbing other people of opportunity to be used in the kingdom of God. If we look at the body, you have two thumbs. You have two sets of hands. Two sets of feet. You got ten toes. Ten fingers. Which if you move over in the spiritual, that tells us that there's probably more than one person that's capable of being used in that capacity. And we've got to have a kingdom mindset that says what is best for the kingdom of God. Not what's best for me. What is best for the kingdom of God? You know, not everybody can go to a big church. It's just a fact. As a church grows, not everybody can go to a big church. Some people have to go to a smaller church. There's nothing wrong with that. Here's my mindset. I'm not so naive to think I could pastor everyone, but I can have enough faith to believe that everybody can be saved. If you can't be saved at Wallace Ridge, just go be saved. Find you a truth-preaching church and that believes this book from cover to cover, and live it to the best of your ability and just hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I just want people to make it to heaven. I just want everybody to be saved. Because I'm telling you, this church is going to grow. There's people that God is primed and ready to send through this through these doors. And we're going to see them coming from all different directions. I've prayed since I've been here that the angel of the Lord would go to each corner of this parish and begin to stir up the winds of revival and begin to break the chains and the generational curses that have held people captive for so long and to release people into their destiny. It's going to happen in the name of Jesus. they got to have people willing. I want this church to be a safe haven. A safe haven for people. I want our altars to be full of people that are hungry. Let me just tell you, and I've mentioned this a couple of weeks ago these altars ought not be dead, dried up altars. These altars ought to be full of people that it doesn't matter what the preacher preaches, they're going to that altar and they're tapping into the Holy Ghost and they're getting that place in the Spirit. I'm tired of dry altar services. I'm tired of of just going through the motions, and my uh, my prayer, and I I told God this, and I'm not saying this disparagingly. Please hear my heart. Is I want Wallace Ridge to have revival like unprecedented revival. And if I'm not the man God uses, God get me out of the way and send a man that this church could have revival. That's how serious I am. I'm not here to draw a paycheck. I'm not here to go through the motions. I'm not here to tickle your ears. I want Catahoula Parish to have revival. I want the fire of God to fall in this parish in such a way that they hear it all over this nation of what God is doing in this parish. Amen. My heart is so stirred. My heart is so convicted. Because we've been here, I've been here five years, and it's gone by that fast. And part of me, you've got to realize, I went from evangelist to pastor. And the difference is an evangelist is a sprint and a pastor is a marathon. When I went as an evangelist, I expected every service to be a home run. And for that place to explode, that was my mindset. And as a pastor, God's had to temper me and realize that sometimes you gotta have, be happy getting on first base. I'd love a home run every service. But there's times I'm gay, I I just say, God, I bunted, it. And I'm just happy with a bunt, okay. But we've got to be an apostolic church. That when they walk in these doors, they feel prayer reverberating in this place. I'm just telling you, my God has stirred me to challenge you as we move forward. Don't be surprised when we have more prayer. Don't be surprised when we have more church. Don't be surprised when we push harder than we've ever pushed because now's not the time for us to ease back. Bible says, woe be unto them that are at ease in Zion. I don't want God to look at this church and say that's just a comfortable church. They're just enjoying the blessings of God. But I want him to see a church that's pushing. I want him to see a church that's so hungry for revival and so hungry. For the presence of God, uh, and so hungry for the shikana glory of God, uh, I don't want to let rest on our laurels from yesteryear. Uh, but I want God to see a determination in our hearts uh, that we've got to go higher than we've ever been before. Come on, if you believe it, clap your hands unto God right now. The Bible says, "Deep calleth unto deep." just telling you once you've been in the deep water you can't be satisfied in the shallow end once you have experienced the freedom of the current and the deep water you'll never find that longing fulfilled standing on the shore and I'm preaching to people here tonight that you've been in deep moves of God You've been in deep places in the spirit. You've been in deep services. And somewhere along the way, maybe you started easing back and you're standing on the shore or you're in ankle deep waters. I'm telling you, you're not gonna ever find that fulfillment or that satisfaction like you once had when you was in the deep places in God. Yeah, you may be feeling the water, but you're not filled with the water. There's a difference in feeling the water in a pool and being filled with water. What is the difference when you filled with it, it satisfies that longing on the inside. And we got too many people that just want to feel it on the outside, but they don't want to be filled with it on the inside. And we wonder why we got problems in our churches. And we wonder why we got situations out of control. I'll tell you why. Because we're not in the deep water. We're not in the deep places that God's called us to be. I've called to, I'm called to stir your heart tonight and say, God, of the Spirit, God, I want to go to that dimension in the Holy Ghost that I once walked in. Come on, I want you to begin to pray with me right now. Stand all over this building. I feel a divine pause. I want you to begin to reach out in the Spirit right now. Deep calleth thunder, deep. Oh God, we're wanting to go to that place of the Spirit. Oh God, we love. Walk with you like we once walked with you before. Oh God, stand people from the north and the south and the east and the west. People that are broken, people that are hurting, people that need change in their life, and let them find a place full of the Holy Ghost, full of the power of God, full of the current flowing in this service and in this house. Come on, wallace Street, pray, pray with me right now, God.